Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can learn more about the vision or give financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. You know, it's a... I'm so thankful for the story that we gather every week to celebrate, and that that is the the love story of God's love for us and the reality that he sent his son Jesus to die on our behalf so that we might have a way to have a relationship with him. The Bible says this, that God showed his love in this way, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. John 3 says that God loved you. You could put your name in there. God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not die but have life everlasting. Let's not let the story ever get old, amen? That's why we've gathered to worship Jesus. And, and you may think today I'm going to teach or preach a series or a sermon on love and relationships. I've done that in the past, but I'm not going to talk about love of people today or relationships today. So this isn't like a relational self-help session. I'm going to talk about the love of money because some of y'all love money more than people. We're there, we're there, we're there, okay? Uh, We're in a series called Chasing Ghosts, the idea that uh, everybody pursues something and the things that we pursue that we think will make us happy, we think will satisfy us, uh, are really just elusive, And they don't actually bring about that fulfillment. Last week, we talked about popularity, chasing fame or influence or popularity and how really it's just a, it's a draining pursuit and how you can never actually get there. And that the one name we need to be living for is the name of Jesus. Well, today I want to talk about money because we live in a culture that relentlessly chases money so that money can get stuff, right? And we're all in the rat race together. You got your Bibles, open up to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs. It's like right in the middle, and you can hang a right. Or if you got an app, you can pull it up on your YouVersion Bible app. But the book of Proverbs was written by a man named Solomon. Some historians believe, and definitely biblical scholars believe, he was the richest man that ever lived. King Solomon was the king over Israel for 40 years. uh, And one of the things that he required and was given to him was every year, 25 tons of gold was brought to Solomon. These neighboring countries would bring him gold as really a peace offering. And if they brought gold to King Solomon, he vowed to not attack or take over their country. And so over the period of 40 years, this man accumulated close to 10,000 tons. Uh, I'm sorry, close to 1,000 tons. What's the math on that? 1,000 or 10,000? God, y'all aren't smart as I am either. I don't, I don't know. It's a lot of gold, right? God, I need a calculator. But most, most historians believe that King Solomon and the acclamation of all this gold over a 40-year period would be a modern-day trillionaire, right? Like if you brought that wealth to modern day, a, a trillionaire. The Bible describes him as being incredibly wealthy. And he wrote a book, Proverbs, that gives us all kinds of wisdom on how to live, right? All kinds of sayings and teachings. Solomon was the son of King David. He inherited an incredibly wealthy empire, and he became incredibly wealthy himself. And I was, I was watching a documentary a while back on just the wealth of America, how there's this obsession. Obviously, it was in preparation for this particular sermon. And the documentary that I watched was called Generation Wealth. Generation Wealth. Maybe you've seen it. 
But the whole premise of, of the documentary is this woman um, who decides that she's going to track the stories and research the lives of people that live ex- incredibly extravagantly around the world, not just in America, but in Russia and China. And it's crazy if you actually watch it to hear the stories of some of these families. Um, for instance, the show Toddlers and Tiaras, Tiaras, you seen that? Uh, there's a six-year-old girl on the show, six years old. I have a six-year-old daughter, so I can imagine Brooklyn saying this. But this little girl at six years old says, essentially, hey, I want to grow up and be rich because if I'm rich, then I'll be a princess. And it's like this obsession. This girl at six years old, that's the only world that she actually knows. Um, you got little John on there with his $50,000 grill, right? Like it's all blinged out with diamonds on his teeth. And you're like, this is crazy, right? It's, it's this world that we live in where wealth is celebrated, it is chased, and the game of comparison is at an all-time high. The whole premise of the documentary is how the baby boomer generation has pursued finances and pursued wealth um, like no other time in human history at the expense of relationships, of marriages, of families, and and everything that we would consider to be values. What's interesting is growing up, you know, we we did the comparison game too, but we didn't have the internet. And right, I I just aged myself. I dated myself right there. Um, internet came out really when I was a, a freshman in college. And so growing up, my, my comparison game was my circle of people that I knew, my friends that I knew, right? So my, my buddy Chris, like I remember Chris, he lived one street over and his dad got a new truck. And I remember one time thinking, man, hey, that's a really cool truck. You know, I come home to my driveway and I'm like, man, we don't have a truck like that. We don't have as much money as Chris. That was kind of how it worked, right? And, and so there was this comparison game, whereas now it's a lot different because we compare to the world because we have social media and the internet. I was riding the other day with uh, my son, Bryson, and I asked Bryson while we were driving, I'm like, hey, Bryce, um, which by the way, Bryson has dreams and aspirations to be the NBA, and I think he will be one day, son, uh, but he wants to go to the University of North Carolina and play basketball, Tar Heel Blue, and he wants to go play for the Charlotte Hornets so that Michael Jordan will own him, of course, uh, and, and we were riding in the car, and I said, what, what's your dream car? Like, if you had any car that you want, what would it be when you grow up? Now, if somebody would have asked me that growing up, I'd probably have been like, you know, Tahoe, it'd be cool. Suburban, it'd be cool. My man rattles off, I, I mean, I think if I had to have one, I think I'd get a baby blue Bugatti. I'm like, how do you even know what a Bugatti is? We don't live in a place where there are Bugattis running around, you know? Uh, and I think to myself, God, this is the world that we live in. The documentary ends this way. It tracks the stories of all these different individuals, uh, their, their life of great wealth, some losing their wealth. And at the end of the documentary, there's essentially this summary that the chase of or the pursuit of wealth and lavish living isn't worth it because the relationships that get ruined along the way. And I was watching it thinking to myself, this is amazing because this documentary actually teaches the very same thing that King Solomon teaches in Proverbs. In fact, if you turn to Proverbs chapter 23, this is what he says. This is the wealthiest man to have ever lived. So think wealthier than Jeff Bezos, Amazon, wealthier than Elon Musk, Tesla, right? Like this is tremendously wealthy guy. And he writes this in the midst of having all these things. Proverbs chapter 23, verse four. He says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Better way to say that might be, be wise enough to know when you have enough. Be wise enough to know what contentment looks like. 
Because in the blink of an eye, wealth disappears. For it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Now, what does that look like, right? Because what does wearing yourself out to get rich look like? Now, I know uh, my teenagers are going to agree with this next statement. Here's what it looks like. It means waking up every day from the age of five on and going to school. You wear yourself out. You get up, you know, go out to the bus stop. At least mine do at 6.15. Go to school all day long. Do the homework at home. Put in the grind. To eventually you graduate high school. But then guess what? That's not it. You got to go to four years of college. And not only have to go, but you got to pay for it. So you have to pay someone to go to college. And for four years, you do the work. You go to class. Maybe work a part-time job take on some debt, right? And then after four years, you would think, I can go out and get a good job. But to get the best job or the highest paying job, what do you got to get? You need a master's, right? So you go three more years and you go get your MA, right? You go get your master's degree and, and you, because that's the best position you to achieve the American dream and make the most money possible. And then some of them out there are just greedy and they decide, you know what? I'm going to go be a doctor, right? And they go for like 24, <laughs> I'm just kidding. We need them. We need them. And I know we have some in the church and watching. I'm not trying to be offensive. But they go for like 20 years, right? And the, the point is, it's, it's like there's this grind. There's this wearing. There's this wear and tear. And, and then once you get the job, it's not enough just to have the job and work like a nine to five. Because we know that the, the best or the highest earners don't just work 40 hours a week. They got to put in like 50, maybe 60. Nowadays, you have to be connected to your phone after hours if you're going to be efficient and actually respond. And so you end up like chasing this success or chasing this ladder or chasing this paycheck at the expense of everything else. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. You're like, well, I'm doing it. I'm doing it for my family. No, 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 no. You're stepping on your family, trying to create a standard of living that is far larger than we actually need. That, that's what's happening. And I don't know that we stop long enough to go, man, we weren't designed to live this way. This is not how God created us to be. Now, listen, I'm not against work. In fact, work is given by God. Work is not a product of people being sinful. Like Adam was working before Eve bit the, bit the apple. Y'all realize that, right? Like Adam was working the garden. Work is good. Hard work is good. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, do it with all your heart as if for the Lord. And I believe whatever job God gives us, or whatever work we set our hands to, we should be the best at it. We should be excellent. But I don't think work should be a means to have great wealth so that we can gather and greed. Work is a means for God to provide for us so that we can give and be generous to others. There's a major difference in the paradigms between the two. Solomon says, don't wear yourself out because you weren't designed to live this way. Now, I have to say this. There's two things that have to be said about wealth real quick or riches real quick, and that's this. One, the possession of it is not a bad thing. And some of y'all are like, whew, good, because I'm wealthy, right? And the rest of y'all are like, where are they at? <laughs> the possession of wealth is not a bad thing. Listen, money is, is amoral. Just like popularity, it's amoral. It's not in itself inherently good or bad. It's what you do with it, right? It's a tool. In fact, if you look at scripture, there's incredibly wealthy people in the Old Testament that God used in a mighty way. Like we talk about Abraham. Yo, Abraham was loaded, Abraham had so much land, so many resources, incredibly wealthy man. His son Isaac, generational wealth, incredibly wealthy as an individual. 
We go Jacob. Jacob was incredibly rich. Joseph rose to prominence, had a lot of resources and wealth. Job, there's an entire book in the Bible on a man named Job who had like tons of land and tons of cattle and tons of property and like he ended up losing all of it. God used his wealth to teach a lesson of dependence on God, but then he gave it all back, right? So resources is not a bad thing and wealth is most definitely not a bad thing. God uses that. You look at the New Testament. Some of y'all are like, I'm a, I'm a New Testament Christian. Don't give me that Old Testament. Look, y'all, New Testament, there's Barnabas, right? We read through the book of Acts. The early church is getting started. And yes, they were known early on for like their poverty. They didn't have much. They gave to everybody that was in need. But we find people like Barnabas, who was incredibly wealthy and resourced, helped research the early church movement. Uh, a woman named Dorcas, who had a lot of money, resourced the movement. Priscilla and Aquila, a lot of money. Help resource to move it. Cornelius, another guy, very wealthy. People that had resources and wealth that God used. And listen, I've been in ministry long enough and I've, by the grace of God, been able to be the pastor of this church for eight years. And there are people that have lots of resources who God has used when they open their hand and are generous with what he's given. Possession of wealth is not the issue. The pursuit of wealth is what can be a bad thing. It's the pursuit of it. And you go, what does that pursuit look like? I mean, like the obsession and the drive and the focus that I'm going to obtain wealth or riches at all costs. That's the culture that we live in. Y'all, we live in a world right now where it's like, hey, you hustle, 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 whatever you got to do, or work harder than the next man, or grind, or step on people to get to the top. Whatever you got to do to get it, do it, right? And what we also see happening at the same time, are marriages falling apart, families falling apart, kids being raised by parents who aren't present because they're all in their workplace and they're trying to get money and they think they're doing their kids a favor, but in reality, they're robbing their kids of the very thing they actually need. Like my point is, we've got a culture that's obsessed with going after money and we're missing the mark. We're missing the mark. Timothy, uh, in the New Testament, we hear about a pastor named Timothy. Paul, uh, this was like his, Paul was his mentor. And Paul put Timothy in charge of a church and said, I want you to pastor these people. Timothy was young. And I imagine in his context, he was in a city that was very influential, very affluent. And and I imagine that Timothy had some people in his church, maybe they had great resources, and he didn't really know what to tell them to do, right? Because you can read the Old Testament, even look at the New Testament, some of the teachings of Jesus and wonder, is, is money bad? Like, should I give everything away? Should I just like cash out my savings and like, let's just give it to a nonprofit and like walk the street and carry a cross. Some of y'all are like, no. Is money, is money bad? Is it bad to have? And, and Timothy, I imagine, would have conversations with Paul going, how do I instruct these people to live? How, how, what, how am I supposed to tell them to live? Because the truth is, if you don't have a lot, right? Like there's a sense of desperation, so you have need. And if you have need, it's a whole lot easier to recognize your need for a savior. But when you're self-sustaining and you're affluent and you have everything you think you need, it's hard to expose a need in someone's life. It's why Jesus said it's going to be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. What does that mean? It means it makes it very, very difficult. Not that it can't happen, but when, when you think you've earned enough to uh, achieve everything you need for happiness financially, it's tough to recognize that you're missing the very thing you need more than anything else. Paul writes to Timothy, this is what he says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 8. Verse 9, I'm sorry. 
He says, uh, those that desire to be rich fall into temptation. Listen, I want us to understand we're not reading a culturally disconnected book when we open up the Bible. Even though it was 2,000 years ago, approximately, we've got a society that was driven by money, people trying to achieve success, have more than the next man because that led to independence for them and what they perceived to be satisfaction. It's the very same thing we still deal with today. Paul says, look, those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation. They fall into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Stop for a minute and think about the last, I don't know, month. The stories that you've seen on the news. The stories you've seen on social media. I don't mean just like bank robberies or anything like that. I mean stories of corruption, stories of greed, arrest, white collar arrest, people that have a lot of money still taking more money, stories of corruption in government. Just, I want you to think about these stories because it's exactly what Paul's saying. This desire to be rich will lead you into a place of temptation. It's harmful desires that bring about ruin and destruction. Listen, on a Sunday where we're talking about love, you know what ruins more marriages? than anything else, it's not infidelity, although that will mess up a marriage, it's finances. More marriages in because of finances than anything else. Brings about ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. The love of money, the pursuit of money, the affection toward money is the root of all kinds of evil. And it's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith all together and pierce themselves with many pangs. Success sometimes will lead people spiritually in a very difficult and wrong direction because they will chase the thing that brings the most satisfaction. Paul says, look, tell the people, don't go down that path. Don't have that desire. Don't make that the thing that they focus all their attention on. I was telling the earlier service that for me personally, uh, I found riches or wealth or money to be a moving target, right? Because what, what you think would make you rich at one age doesn't make you rich at the next age. Make sense? Let me give you an example. I've got two quarters in my pocket. And you're all like, yep, that ain't much. Matter of fact, we don't even keep change anymore, do we? We're just like, oh, we'll just, I, don't, I don't keep the change, doesn't matter. Some of you are in college and you're like, nope, I'll take it. Uh, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, we, we rented a house that was... Uh, about four houses down from a gas station. And this was like the, the rise of video games. You know, I had like the Atari, and then I got the original Nintendo entertainment system. Well, just down the street at this gas station, there was two arcade games. So one was Mortal Kombat, and the other one was Kung Fu Fighting. Not the song, it was actually a video game. And so what I would do is I would try to find any change I could get, and I would walk down to this gas station on my own, like at nine years old, 10 years old, and, and I'd go play these video games, right? I'd go in there for, I'd, so my, my, my mom uh, got married and my stepdad, Brian, had this huge bowl of quarters. And I know he's watching right now. I'm the reason that it got depleted. I know you already know that, but I, I, would, go in, I would go in there and get handfuls of quarters and walk down to the gas station and just feed that machine, right? Playing Mortal Kombat, right? Just going out, whoop-dee, finish him, right? Just going after it. All day. I mean, I loved it. I loved it. And, and, and so for me at nine and 10, if I had quarters, y'all, that was a big deal. That's, that's what I aspired to have was quarters, right? And eventually that desire kind of wore off. Quarters don't mean as much. Anybody want 50 cent? Anybody want quarters? 
Anybody? Come on, my man. There you go. Good job. You're welcome. Somebody's going to shop at Aldi and wish they had quarters to put in that cart thing, okay? Um, as, as, I, as I moved into, like, elementary school, um, one of the things I loved doing was going to the movies, right? Because the Cinemark Movies 8, which was in Oak Brook, was a pretty inexpensive movie theater. And so if I just had $5, I could go with my friends. I could go with them on a Friday night, get a movie, right? Maybe some popcorn, because back then we could do it for $5. Some of y'all are like, when did, how old is this dude, right? <laughs> this was 1947. Uh, but if I had $5, I could go to the movie and I could make a night out of it. But if I didn't have money, right, I couldn't go. So for me to get $5 was a huge thing, right? But eventually that lost a little bit of its value. Like $5 today, it's still, I mean, it's still money, but like, it doesn't, it's not as valuable, right? The target moves as you get a little older. Anybody want five? Anybody want a five? I'm giving it out right here, first to the stage. Chris Flood. Okay. So a little life hack, he was in the first service. Oh. So there's, there's a pitch to actually start serving on a team, right? Well, when I got to high school or college, right, $5 didn't have quite as much value, uh, even though it still had value. But in college, I'm going to class all day. I'm working part-time at this law firm, and I look forward to Fridays because I got paid. And I got paid every two weeks, I could go out and do some stuff. So in college, $50 was a lot of money, right? If I just had a 50, <laughs> if I just had a $50 bill, and it's Valentine's Day on a budget, I could take... Ashley, my girlfriend, out, right? We could go grab a meal somewhere, right? And so $50 was a lot of money in college, right? And I'm not saying it's not a lot of money now, but it's a lot different than the 50 cents or the $5. Would you agree? Anybody want a 50? You want? Here we go. Right here, man. You made your way down here. That's you. That's you. All right? <laughs> You're good. So yeah, $50 is a lot, a lot of money, right? Like that. That made a difference in college. But again, as we grow, target shit. Now listen, this is my money. This isn't church money. This is my cash, okay? So we, we uh, I got 500. I got $500 right here, okay? Now, when I got married, got a mortgage, had some kids, somebody give my wife CPR right here. Uh, when you grow up, get a little older, y'all 500 will go a long way. I mean, this will cover a couple car payments, right? Knock down that mortgage, right? Like it's, this is, this is big money, right? And I, like I said, that's my money. I'm not giving that away. That's, here's the deal. That's, that's not going anywhere. Some of y'all were squirming in the seats. Some of y'all were like, look, honey, you better get ready to run, you know? Uh, man, you keep that. That's part of the illustration. All right, sounds good. See, the Lord had his hand of favor on me. Look at that. That's great. <laughs> uh, here, here's, here's my point. Here's my point. 50 cent didn't cost some of y'all to even move, right? $5, some of y'all are like, ah, $5, ain't nothing, right? I'm too dignified to move for five. 50, I'll move. I'll move on 50. Now, 500, let's go, right? I'm about to jockey for position. I wonder sometimes how much would it take to even get us to move? Right, because wealth is relative. It's a, it's a moving target. Riches is a moving target. And what's crazy is the more that you get, right, the, the further away the target seems to go. And it's never enough. 
Just now, that's why King Solomon says, look, know when to quit. Know when to be content. Know when you have enough. What is your standard of living and what are you actually chasing? It's a very valid question to ask. Now, here's what I want us to see in this room. And, and some of you may disagree with this, but statistically it's accurate. If you're in the room or you're watching online, you're, you're under the sound of my voice right now. Based on global statistics, we're all rich. We are all, globally, we are all wealthy. That $5 you didn't want to move for, y'all three billion out of the seven on the planet live on less than $5 a day, right? Uh, 50 cents, like if I went down to Port-au-Prince, Haiti or Titaïen, Haiti, and I held two quarters out, there would be an absolute street fight clamoring for that money. And I get it, we're in, the, we're, we're in America. It's just first world problems, right? Some of you are like, I ain't rich. Just tell me I'm rich. I ain't rich. I'm in debt. I'm behind on my payments. Look, you, you, you can tell if you're rich by what aggravates you. Like when you go to Starbucks and you're like, I said four pumps and they put two. But you worry you ain't got enough money. Like I, you're rich. Or when you're sitting in traffic, right? And traffic's really bad. And you're like, guys, sucks. This is terrible. But look, you are in a vehicle that has gas. It is running right now, right? You had somewhere to go, somebody to see, some job to go to. Like you are, you are wealthy. Or you're sitting at Starbucks, right? And you pull up your, your, your laptop that's not connected to a wall. Because I remember when they were, and it wasn't a laptop. It had a tower. You know what I'm talking about? And you had to put a disc in there to AOL 1,000 minutes. Anybody with me? Yep. Sister gets on the phone. Hey, hang up! <laughs> Kick me off. Some of y'all need to ask your parents today about that. But you're sitting in, in, in Starbucks, and it's like, God, the Wi-Fi is so slow. Spin wheel. This is terrible, right? It's a first world problem. Y'all, we're rich. We're, we're rich. Our needs are met. And some of you may be like, no, nah, my needs aren't met. And look, I know there's some exceptions. But for the vast majority, listen, they're like, we don't have enough. Let me ask the question, is your standard of living so high that you're killing yourself to get to it? Maybe there's some adjustments that need to be made. It's the culture that we live in that drives us to that place. Because Solomon says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. And because that's true, because we, we are rich in a sense, we got to pay attention to what Jesus has to say about money, right? Like there's this one story, Mark chapter 10, where uh, this rich young ruler runs up to Jesus. This doesn't mean he was a king, right? Most scholars will believe that the rich young ruler meant that he was a part of really the ruling class, the, the class of Pharisees that enforced the law. In the Jewish culture, if you had a lot of money, if you, if you uh, financially had a lot of money, you were deemed as blessed. It meant that God had his hand of favor on you. So this rich young ruler who had all this money came from prestige, came from power. He comes running up to Jesus one day. Says Jesus was actually leaving town. So you imagine Jesus like goes in, does a little revival and he's leaving, he's heading out of town. And this rich young ruler runs up and he's like, wait, good teacher. What do I need to do to have eternal life? This man who has everything runs up searching for the one thing that all of us are really looking for. Tells me that money does not satisfy the cravings of our soul. There is a deeper void. And he falls on his knees before Jesus and says, what do I have to do to have eternal life? He says that Jesus looked on him in love. He says, why do you call me good teacher? There's no one good but God. And you know the commandments, right? Because Jesus knew this guy already. 
you know the commandments, honor your father and mother, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, don't have any other gods before me. And this guy literally cuts Jesus off, says, yeah, I know, I know. I've done all those since I was a kid. In other words, hey, I'm good, I'm perfect. I've kept the law, done nothing wrong. Just give me the answer to what I'm looking for. And this is what Jesus says to him in Mark chapter 10. He says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, in love, hey, you lack one thing. I want you to go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Catch this now. Jesus says, look, here's the one thing that you lack. All that stuff that you have, your checkings account, your savings account, your 401k, your stocks, your Bugatti, your house, your closet, all your hobbies, your boat, sell all that and let's go. And and what's crazy is the man looks back at Jesus. This is what he does. Doesn't say a thing. Doesn't have a discussion. Doesn't argue with him. Doesn't try to bargain with him the way that we would, right? Jesus, I know that's what you say, but I really like the boat. Everything else doesn't have that. This is what he does. We find in verse 22, disheartened by the saying. That word disheartened means literally the life was sucked out of this man. He went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. He looks at Jesus and says, tell me what to do to go to heaven, to have eternal life. And Jesus says, just go sell, go sell your stuff and give it away. And then come follow me. Yo, that's the answer. But this guy looks straight at Jesus and then looks back at his stuff and realizes, I can't let it go. I can't let it go. Why? Because he worshiped it. Because the thing that you have affection for and that you sacrifice for, that's exactly what you worship. And he looks at Jesus and disheartened, he goes, I can't let it go. Why would Jesus offer up such a hard teaching? Here's why. Because we can't take hold of Jesus if we're holding on to something else. We, we, it won't happen. And listen, some of you might be here going, no, my, my hold of something else isn't money, right? But I might propose to you that maybe it's the pursuit of money. Oh, I can't answer that call to go to ministry or answer that call to go to missions or answer that call to serve or give my life away or go to a small group or give away to anybody else. Why? Because you're consumed with chasing you, your dream, your money, your success. Jesus goes, look, give that up. You're missing the point. You're missing the point. It's not about religion. It's not about all your laws. It's not about your stuff. And I'm not impressed with it, Jesus says. In fact, I don't even need it. Some might look at it and go, man, Jesus, if Jesus was strategic, if Jesus was a wise leader, if Jesus was more influential, Jesus would have said, hey, grab all your stuff, throw it on the wagon and hitch up to this and let's go. Because if I had all his money and I had all his resources and I had all his stuff, man, I'm surely God could do more with that. Disciples watch Jesus go, look, that stuff means nothing. I just want your heart. I just want your soul. In fact, the disciples see this and they says, we're told that they're amazed They look and amazed and go, who can be saved then? Like if this guy can't be saved, who then can be saved? And that's when Jesus says, look, it's going to be harder for a rich man. Or it's going to be harder for uh, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Right? What Jesus is saying is this. When your heart is invested in something in a greater way than it is in his teachings and follow him in the kingdom of God, you won't make it into the place called heaven. And y'all, as a people that are rich, 
by every stretch of the word, that's a hard teaching for us to embrace. But that's exactly what Jesus taught. Timothy and his asking of Paul, Paul, what do I say to them? How do I teach them? What should I encourage them to do? This is what he says. He goes on in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and says this. I want to read it because it's so good. And this is what I would say to you, church, because listen, we, we sometimes listen and go, oh, that was for the New Testament church. I really do believe if Paul could speak to us today, he would say something really similar. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 18. He says, Timothy, this is what you tell them to do. Since they are rich, they're to do good. And they're to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And doing this, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Catch this real quick. Paul says, Timothy, I know the world teaches that if you can go more and work more and earn more and have more, that there is life. Man, if you can just have that pay, have that salary, have the house, have the car, have the stuff, then you'll have life to the fullest. And Jesus says, no, 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 that's not life. I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. That's truly abundant life. It really is this paradox between what the world says will bring you fulfillment and what Jesus says will bring you fulfillment. Is he villainizing wealth? No. But if you have it, hold it lightly and make sure you're open-handed because you can't take hold of Jesus if you're holding on to your stuff. He says it's impossible. It's impossible. I wonder what would happen if we as a church actually did something with this teaching that we heard today, right? When you leave and you, you think, okay, today you're going to lunch, today you're going to dinner, maybe sometime this week if you have uh, alternative plans today. What, what would happen if we just embraced this really command to be generous as the people of God, to do good works, to share with those who have a need, right? Like when you go to lunch, think about this. Most, most uh Hospitality people, waiters, waitresses, they can't stand Sundays because church people go out to eat. And when church people go out to eat, they don't tip good. How sad is that? Like what would happen if the day you went to lunch, wherever you were gonna go, and you just decided, you know what? I'm gonna tip the same price of the meal. Like, nah, I tip 20%, I do my best, like that. No, I'm saying like, what if you decided to be generous to the waiter or waitress? who literally had a hellish year with COVID, you just decided, you know what? I'm gonna be generous and I'm gonna give them the same price of the meal and I'm gonna tell them, hey, I'm blessing you because God's blessed me. Give him credit, not yourself. Because if we take credit for it, that's on us. But deflect it back to God, right? How amazing would that be if, if we did that? What, what would happen if we pulled up to a gas station with, with eyes to see and saw, you know what? Let me fill their car up too with gas. What if we just took an approach like I can be generous, like actually carry out some good deeds and give God glory? One of the things that's most convicting for me, not as a pastor, but just as a dad, my girls, Brinkley and Brooklyn, there's a guy that sits outside of Walmart in West Ashley. His name's Richard. And I remember remember the day that Brooklyn, six years old, told me the story about Richard. Dad, you know Richard? I don't know Richard, what are you talking about? He's homeless. Y'all, anytime we drive past Richard, the girls have money, they give it to Richard. Brinkley told me one time, you know, Richard's now got a girlfriend. I'm like, really? That's amazing. How you know that? She talked to him, had a conversation with him out the window, right? And you go, man, this, this, is, this is a child. She's 10 and she's six. She didn't have a job. She didn't have resources. But what she has, she gives. Y'all know how many times I've driven past Richard and not even batted an eye? 
Am I saying like, hey, empty out the account and give it all to Richard? I'm not saying that. Maybe God says that to you. But what would happen if we lived in such a way that we realized what we have in our hands is not really ours? God said, look, it's from me. Use it for me. I'm afraid that we've, we've somehow, as the church or as Christians, navigated in this life where we know I have to, we no longer pray this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Because we don't need them to. We got it already. Right? Like, what would it take for God to just bring us back to this place of, of desperation? God, it's yours. Everything I have is yours. Let me be a conduit. Let me bless others. Let me share with others as they have need. Let me be generous just because. Man, I think he gets a lot of glory if we would act that way. I want to encourage the church this week, when you head out from here, and it's Tuesday or it's Thursday, maybe think back to, to that instruction that Paul gave Timothy. Hey, you instruct those who are rich. You instruct those who are filling up their car with gas and not even thinking about the fact that they just dropped $40 because it doesn't matter. You instruct those who are going out to eat Starbucks for the fourth time or going to Chipotle for the second time or buying those snacks at the gas station. You instruct those who are rich to be generous in good works, to share with those who are in need, right? What, what if we did that? I just think people would start to look at God a little differently. I think they would realize the church is actually what it says it's about, right? And he would get glory through it. And I believe he would bring people to himself through us. God, I pray this morning, as we hear and receive a teaching that is hard to hear in some ways, as those who have, God, I pray that we would open up our hands, open up our hearts. God, remember that everything that we have is is from you and should be for you. God, for the times that the pursuit of money has consumed us, the times that greed has kept our heart in knots, God, I pray that today there would be a release. I pray today, God, you would fill your house with generosity. You would help us to realize the things that we have are not really for us, but God, we're to steward them for your kingdom and for your glory. So God, I pray that you would just shift our hearts, help us to realize that we have everything that we already need, and that ultimately the one thing that we need is you. As you continue praying all across the room and even online. I told you earlier, we're here to gather and celebrate the greatest love story ever. And that is that God in his great love for you sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for you. And they didn't leave Jesus on the cross. He rose on the third day. We're called to be generous because we serve a generous God who stopped short of nothing to go after your heart and life. And maybe today you're here and you recognize, listen, I've never actually embraced a relationship with God. I've never surrendered my life for his. I've never asked God to save me from my sin. I've never, that same burning question that the rich young ruler had, what does it take? You may be asking the same thing today. I want to invite you to give your life to Jesus, to begin a relationship with God. You can do that by praying this prayer. Say, dear God, I believe that you love me. I believe that you sent Jesus to die on a cross for my sins. I believe that he rose on the third day. And I believe that if I trust that story, I have eternal life. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.